Welcome to our podcast, A Place Called Porch. I'm your host, Megan Zamora, and I invite you to kick back, relax, and enjoy the friendship, history, and stories of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Tribal Chair and CEO Stephanie Bryan is the first female to hold the highest leadership position for the Porch Band of Creek Indians. In this episode of A Place Called Porch, you'll hear about how she grew up as a shy little girl in Porch to become the tribal chair of one of the most successful tribes in the nation. Thank you so much, Megan, for hosting me today. (laughs) So, uh, Stephanie, whenever people come to the community, and especially our elders, um, they'll say, well, who are your people? Where do you come from? So let's start there with uh, talking about your family. Who's your family and how do you connect to Porch? So my mother is Julia Ann McGee Stacy. Um, her parents were Doris Buck McGee and Looney Mae Presley McGee. And my great-great-grandfather was Dave Presley, who served on the Tribal Council back in the 60s. So, um, you know, I lived in the core of the Porch Creek community, surrounded by my aunt, my uncle, uh, John Arthur. He lived away for many years and then moved back to the Porch community. And so Hattie Mae and Howard McGee and... um, Marie and Otha Martin, and Maxine Duncan, which she lived um, in Mississippi. And then Uncle John Arthur and Aunt Bernice lived in Porch Switch when they moved back from Gadsden and Illinois. And um, my Aunt Frances and Uncle Billy lived in Mobile, but they would come up often to visit and just spending time visiting when they would come to the community, it was like, a reunion because everybody would bring a covered dish and we'd meet at my mom's house and um but i was surrounded by a lot a lot of um other women in the community mm-hmm. like aunt bert aunt Whitley, uh sister ruthie may aunt clara aunt ella aunt bernestine uncle dc uh deputy dan is what we called uh <laughs> dan so um It was really, I was really fortunate to be raised in the community amongst all of my family and the connection and the love that we had together. And if, um, you know, if somebody had something to eat, we all had something to eat. And that's just how we were as a community. Uh, We shared and we, we showed a lot of love and just a lot of togetherness. So for those who may not know, Whenever they look at the powwow grounds, your mama's house is literally right across the road. Um, And my great grandma's house was right across the road in another direction. And so whenever you're talking about this sense of community, you really, you know, they they use that term. I was in a rock, I could throw a rock at the next house. And that's really what, where you lived, you could throw a rock at all of these people's houses. Um, and the powwow grounds are just right there, certainly within easy walking distance. And I've heard you refer to your mama's house as Grand Central Station from time to time. 
Uh, yeah, it, a lot of people would always gather on the front porch of my mother's home place. Um, there's a lot of memories on that front porch because, um, as you said, you've heard it called Grand Central Station. And I think even growing up, your mother will tell you that that was the meeting place of the porch community. We used to pick at your Aunt Clara and say that she was ABC, Mama was CBS, and Aunt Marie <laughs> was NBC. And so, uh, because back then they didn't have cell phones. You know, we had these old TVs that had these antennas that were for days and looked like it was something from Mars, these kids would think today. And the way they communicated was not by telephone. They'd step out on the front porch and Stephanie, Denise, get home. Uh, so, but we, a lot of times would gather at the powwow grounds mm -hmm. and we would play kickball, dodgeball, stickball. Um, but there was a lot of great memories made on that powwow ground with a lot of um, people in the porch, uh, porch community. And, um, just being a part of that and then watching my sister be the first marriage that took place on the actual powwow grounds mm -hmm. and mr billy smith would take all of us out there and back when we didn't have much he shared our native dance with us and just being able to just something spiritually for us when we were out on the powwow grounds and we were all together as kids playing and doing those things together. It was a bond that we all built in together. Um, but Mr. Billy taught us our native culture back then when we didn't have much. So mm -hmm. I appreciate it so much today because he always said, and my mom and my grandmother always told me that no matter if people make fun of you, you be proud of who you are because that's your blood. Yeah. You are Creek Indian. And even though I was referred to as one of those Indians from porch, didn't matter to me because we had the most important thing that money couldn't buy. We had love. We had a sense of community and we had a sense of faith. We had a real strong faith-based community. And I think the bond that we had and, and just never given up. Mm -hmm. So Stephanie, you talk about this connection to porch and to being creek is there a moment in your life that you can remember where you recognized i'm different um so i so i think a lot of times well a few several years ago i was doing some interviews um with my niece who was about three or four at the time and my sister, my grandma, and great grandma. And I said, when did you know you were Indian? And I think that's an interesting question because that's a, it's a realization that I'm different somehow. Was there ever a moment like that for you where you said, I'm, I'm different because of this heritage? So I'm going to say when I, when I left Huxford Elementary School, mm -hmm. at that point, you know, a lot of the students that went to Huxford Elementary, we all were from the porch community, pretty much, mm -hmm. and the kids from Huxford. But when we went to Escambia County Middle School uh, in Atmore, at that point I knew I was different because I was referred to as a little Indian girl from porch. Mm -hmm. And 
even though I was referred to as a little Indian girl from porch, I may not have had much in school and maybe got one pair of new shoes a year and didn't get much at Christmas. I never let that affect me in any way because it never changed my personality or it never changed who I was as a person. Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes would just sort of laugh it off and mm-hmm. move on. Yeah. You know, I never held any of that against anyone because I just said they didn't know any better mm-hmm. that we're all of one blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I noticed that being the little Indian girl, when they call for title seven programs, mm-hmm. I had to go to those programs and I gladly went mm-hmm. um, because those programs assisted me with my educational abilities. Mm-hmm. And so I was fortunate to be a part of Title VII programs, mm-hmm. even, you know, at a, at a young age. And we still offer those programs. We have a homework club program that we do. We have a tutoring program that we do through Title VII. We have teacher's aides at, you know, a lot of our school because of Title VII dollars. So even though I knew I was different, I didn't act like I was different. Mm-hmm. I shared my native heritage and uh, Billy Smith used to take us to the schools and we would dance uh-huh. and we would have the regalia on and people sometimes would make fun of us yeah. and, you know, never stopped me for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, it made me want to thrive even more mm-hmm. to show that no matter what color you are, what race you are, you can do great things. You have to have a heart and a passion to want to succeed. And I, I had the heart and passion to succeed. And I think a lot of people may not know this about you, but you have overcome a lot of challenges and odds stacked against you. At one point in your life, you were a single mom living in tribal housing and working two or three jobs just to make ends meet. And I think that it's easy for people to see who and what you are now and forget that you do have this very real history that makes you who you are and has given you this, um, you got a grit about you. You know, you're you're not going to crumble just at the first sign of, of dark days or challenge because you've already went through some tough times and some challenges and it's given you a, a grit to you that I think um, certainly makes you very special and, and unique. So let's talk a little bit about that. You, in your previous life, you were in the insurance industry. How do you think that that background has helped prepare you for the role that you're in now? So my mom used to tell me my struggles will make me stronger and those struggles definitely helped shape my life. But it took the support of my family to help me through those tough and challenging times and for me to have the strength to endure those times. When I lived in porch housing and depended on my grandmother, my mom, my aunt, my friends um, to help me as I was working two, sometimes three jobs uh, while going to Jeff Davis Community College, I thought then it's easier for me to give up. Mm -hmm. Why why not just give up, Stephanie? The odds are stacked against you. 
you have all these things. But that motivated me even more because I have a gene, and I guess through my mother and uh, my father's genes, I think more so the McGee gene uh, and the Presley gene in me is to overcome challenges. Sometimes people like challenges in life, and you can set those goals and measure those goals, whatever the challenge may be. And I overcome that goal. And I believe that the passion and desire that I had to help people, that's why I was so successful in the insurance industry. I was one of the very last cancel members who were full-time cancel members because I had a successful career in the insurance industry. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell people that in that industry, you know, insurance is something that's not tangible. And it's not good until you need it, right? So you pay it all these years. And I used to tell people, I used to have to have to back the hearse up to their house and put them in it to make it a reality to say that that's the most important thing that you can insure is your life. Mm -hmm. um, you have car insurance, house insurance, but what more to protect your family and help your family in the event that something happens to you? Wow. So. Um, my passion to truly help people when they not even they didn't even know that that is what I was trying to do. Then in the event that something catastrophic happened to them, or to ensure their cars, their homes, but their life was important too. And I think just having that passion has helped me in the role that I'm in today. I'm a very passionate and a humble person, but I can also make the tough decisions when I know that it's the right decision. Mm -hmm. It's helped me be a stronger leader, a better leader, because I can look at it from numerous perspectives. Right. And it also gives me the motivation daily. What motivates me more in life, it's not materialistic things, it's not money, it's helping people. And I have the passion and the motivation daily to help improve the quality of lives for people. I want to clothe them and armor them with the things that they need and inspire them to go and conquer the world, go and do great things. So you talk a little bit about times that you've had to make some real tough decisions. You've been in leadership since 2006 since 2006. And in that time, I can imagine you've had to make some real tough decisions. What have some of those tough decisions been? So, of course, you know, and everyone else within the tribe knows that um, the enrollment issue that we endured was a tough decision. Um, but probably the toughest decision that weighs heavy on me and my leadership. And I think it's the toughest thing that the tribe has faced since federal recognition. And it's how to handle a catastrophic pandemic. Mm -hmm. We had nobody here that has PhDs in how to handle a pandemic. Right. And when you're in a pandemic in a situation that could take your tribal members' lives, the employees mm -hmm. of our organization and their lives, it's like the weight of the world was on my shoulders to make the right decision just to protect people. Mm -hmm. And I think just going through that and watching people 
you know, we lose some of our, we lost some of our people and we lost employees and, you know, it was very stressful and it was days that, am I making the right decision as a leader to protect my community, our employees and our loved ones? And not knowing, you know, all of our businesses were closed and yet we were still, you know, paying people. But that shows how we have been prepared for something in days as this is to be able to be a sustainable government, mm -hmm. even when something catastrophic happens. So there was a sad moment, but there's also a proud moment to know that we were financially stable and could overcome a pandemic of this magnitude. So I will tell you that there were a lot, a lot of tough decisions made during that time. And um, I felt that there was a lot on my shoulders as a leader of the tribe. But one thing I will tell you is a lot of times I did feel alone, but I knew I turned to God and asked him for the wisdom, the courage, and the strength that I needed to make decisions on behalf of the people that I love so much. And he did that. And so I owe him an immense gratitude for giving me the strength to endure those days, but I'll also be stronger. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I feel like tears are weakness, but it's tears of love and tears of passion that I care so deeply for my people and for the employees of this organization. They mean so much to me. It's, it has been a tough couple of years, and it, it really, it's, it's, it's been two years at this point. We're, we're knocking on the door of two years that we've all been dealing with the pandemic, and there's nothing that prepared any of us for what all of us face during this time. And I can't imagine what it must have felt like to be you during that time. How do you see all of the inner workings of things that the tribe is being faced with and confronted with on a, you know, all the minutia that no one else is even aware of and and still trying to put on a calm, confident face so that you don't send everybody else into panic mode. So I can imagine that that must have been very difficult for you and for for the team that you had there with you as well. And, you know, I, I think it's really amazing when you look back at how well we came through it and we're still going through it now i hope we're on the upswing of things but um i think a lot of folks probably don't understand all of the things we have avoided because we did have good leaders at the helm of our ship so and i will tell you i have to um share my gratitude with um all of the tribal members and the executive team that was there with me. We called it our war room. <laughs> um, so a lot of great things. We look back and of course we learned a lot. Sure. And 
uh, we overcome a lot. Mm -hmm. And so many tribal members that I see today, they send me either text messages or emails saying thank you so much for all the tribe doing through the COVID. And we all have a new normal, um, but we were all in it together. Mm -hmm. I mean, not just us as a tribe, this whole nation was in this all together. I mean, there were so many unknowns and so many uncertainties. And then, um, you know, you battle and struggle with a new president in the middle of a, you know, a pandemic of this magnitude and just leadership in general, you know, our nation, our local level, our state level, um, but just working with various people. And we formed a team with a great pulmonologist, Dr. Thrasher, and of course, Scott Harris with the state health and uh, April cells. We had a great team, epidemiologist on that team that we pulled our resources together to open in safe manners and, and make sure that the employees were as safe as we could make them at the time with what we were dealing with, as well as our patrons. Um, and I will commend everybody who worked on anything to do with COVID. Mm -hmm. It affected so many different people in so many different ways because even families couldn't hug and love one another. Families lost uh, family members and they, they were there by themselves. So they took their last breath by themselves. It's very difficult to even, because we're such a close family and we're always there for each other. And to know that you drop somebody off at the hospital and don't know if you're ever going to pick them back up and they survive, that's tough. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was tough. And I felt like I carried that, too, mm -hmm. because being a leader in my love and my passion for everybody, I, I just, you know, those are things that people will be affected even in the future, mm -hmm. just mentally and physically, emotionally, those things are what people will have to live with. Yes. And so I do think that um, we are faced with a new normal, but I also think that COVID made us know when there is a challenge of this magnitude, that we can overcome it mm -hmm. and we can overcome it and be even stronger. Mm -hmm. And so even during COVID, we were still doing business and diversification with the federal contracting side. And um, there were still good things that were happening. Um, and as I said, it makes us stronger. And I think that as a tribe holistically, I want us to love and appreciate each other and too many times you see when there is success um, and, and people become successful, there's internal failure. Mm -hmm. And as long as there's a breath in me, I will fight to make sure and protect our sovereignty and not to allow that to happen to our tribe or our people. Well, Chairwoman, I really appreciate your time. Um, I appreciate you sharing um, everything that you have shared with us. There's one story that um, I would like for you to share with our audience, if you don't mind, because I, I think it's it's just a great story. Um, so whenever you came into tribal leadership, 
um, there was things were done a little bit differently then. And the tribal council actually chose the executive seats of chair, vice chair, secretary, and treasurer. So you were a tribal council. You were elected as a tribal, an at-large tribal council member. And then you became the vice chair. How did that happen? So um, in 2006, I was elected as an at-large council member. And several council members reached out to me and said, we want to nominate you to be the vice chair. And I said, no, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm new at this. They're like, you know, I know that you're smart. We know that you'll dedicate the time that you need to. Will you please just let us nominate you? Well, I talked to other council members and they said, well, we'll just table that appointment. Mm -hmm. Well, we get to the meeting on that Thursday. I had no clue how to decline a nominate. I had no clue how to do any of that stuff, right? I had, I bought the Robert's Rules of Order book, but I hadn't read it yet because uh, <laughs> I was blessed enough to be elected. So I thought I got to do my homework. So, uh, but I had not done my homework and I thought we were going to table the, the nomination. And uh, Chairman Rowland <laughs> wouldn't allow us to, um, to allow us to um, table the nomination for the vice chair. So I was I was nominated, and uh, Robbie McGee was nominated, and they made us step outside. So we stepped outside, and it was a tie four times. And the chairman of the election board was Brenda Faircall. And Brenda calls us back in to the chamber and she says, well, you don't have to flip a coin. And I looked at Robbie and I said, you call it. I said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Because at this point, like, I'm clueless. I'm, I'm really clueless. Because you had just I been. I had just been sworn in. <laughs> that was my first meeting. I had just been sworn in. And so he called heads and it was tails. <laughs> And that's how I became the vice chair of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. And I will tell you, it has been such an honor that the people have placed the confidence in my leadership abilities and continue to elect me to serve them. Oftentimes I'm asked, who's your boss? And I said, well, I have 2,800, around 2,800 bosses. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, they all, the, the response is often, well, that's got to be tough. Well, a lot of times it is tough, but um, the reward is greater. And um, after that, um, we were told that the people wanted to vote for their, do a direct election for the executive committee. Mm -hmm. Well, that happened, and the next year it was on the, uh, constitutional amendment and it passed mm -hmm. and guess whose turn was up the following year <laughs> Stephanie Ryan the vice chair <laughs> position so I will say the tribal council said well we could start it with the chair the following year and I said well I got to do it anyway so just let's go ahead with it mm -hmm. and so I it was myself and Mr. Eddie Tullis and Eddie had served in leadership for many, many years. Mm -hmm. He had the name recognition and, you know, I thought, oh, how's this going to turn out for me? And um, I'm honored to say that 
I won that election. So I was the first direct elected official of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. And that night, Mr. Tullis, I will say that that was a moment that meant a lot to me. He hugged my neck and he said, you're not you're not in it for the power. You're in it for the people and you're hot and it shows. Mm -hmm. And so that stuck with me that even Mr. Tullis as a leader that overcome many struggles told me and he recognized that it's not about a title. It's not about power. Mm -hmm. It's truly about the people. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when Mr. Buford decided that he it was time for him to retire, um, I felt that I had served my time and I felt like I had been the vice chair I needed to be for Chairman Rowland. And I learned so much from those leaders, mm -hmm. like serving with Mr. Tullis and Buford and, you know, short time with Helen Hallman. I felt like I learned a lot of that wisdom mm -hmm. that they brought to the table. And I felt ready. Mm -hmm. I never dreamed that I would be the chair and CEO of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Mm -hmm. But apparently God had a different plan for me because Sister Ruthie May told me when I first went to talk to her about seeking election, she said, are you sure you want to do that? Mm -hmm. I said, I absolutely am sure that I want to be a part of leadership to help improve the quality of life for the people I love, and that's tribal members. Mm -hmm. And... So I knew going into it, and she told me, she said, it's not your will, it's God's will. Mm -hmm. And so I've ran every election like I've already lost, because you never take anything for granted. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really grateful. Um, and one of the highlights of my leadership moments uh, from 2006 until today is when I sat across the table from President Obama there's very few presidents that would sit down and talk to leaders in Indian country about the issues that we faced. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment for me that I sat across the table, directly across the table from President Obama, just a normal human being. And I looked at him and I said, never did I ever dream that a little girl that lived in poverty in Porch, Alabama, would be sitting across the table from the President of the United States advocating on behalf of my people, the Porch Band of Creek Indians. And I started crying. Mm -hmm. And he had a tear come down his eyes, and he said, never did I think I'd be the President of the United States either. So we both made history. Mm -hmm. And from that day forward, every meeting we had, he knew my name. And everybody in that room said, you've definitely made a lasting impression because your passion and your love and desire to serve your people showed that day. So that's a moment that I cherished in my leadership. Uh, and as I oftentimes tell people, it shouldn't be about a par the party. You can be Democrat, you can be Republican. It shouldn't be about a party. It should be about policy mm -hmm. and helping improve the quality of lives for people. And I, I would imagine President Obama didn't realize how accurate he was in his statement about you making history because whenever you were elected as as tribal chair, you definitely broke through the glass ceiling as being the first female tribal chair 
in and in, in holding the top leadership position for our tribe and i know that as a fellow female tribal member uh i'm so appreciative for you breaking through that ceiling and making the that a reality for men and women alike for our tribe so thank you so we're you know if people study our history the women i mean years ago i mean we are a matrilineal society mm -hmm. so i mean women did lead and i did have to break through that ceiling because there's so many you know i feel like sometimes i'm a female in a male's world mm -hmm. right and it's like do y'all hear me i said the same thing but because i'm a female you know some people close their ears right and i've overcome that mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me anymore uh used to my accent would bother me but I've told many people in Washington and California, don't let this accent fool you. I will get the job done. So um, I, I just have that determination. And um, I call it determination, but it's also passion and willpower that motivates me uh, to help people. Um, and I, my job is to look out for what's best for the next seven generations. So what we're doing today is laying the groundwork for you know your children your grandchildren great-grandchildren you know that's what motivates me i have children and grandchildren and i want them to have a brighter future with opportunities and then inspire them to go and conquer the world and do great things and it's just i'm really passionate about that i'm passionate about the future of the porch band of creek indians we still have many challenges and struggles that we face and I oftentimes tell people, don't vote for me because you like me. Don't vote for your leaders because you like them. Vote for them because they're bringing value to the table mm -hmm. and to your life. Mm -hmm. And we are no longer the tribe that we were, even when I was first elected in 2006. You know, we were still funded by grant dollars, probably 38, 40% of the budget. Now, less than 10% of our budget is fun funded by grant dollars because of our growth and our success and our diversification. So we're now a multi-billion dollar tribe and we need people around the table that can help make tough decisions, hard decisions for a brighter future for our people. And I just am honored and I have to say that it's not me. We have a great team. We have so many great people that work for the Porch Man of Creek mm -hmm. Indians. Um, so it's never about me, it's about we. Mm -hmm. And when you have a successful team, it makes for a successful organization. And I'm thankful and blessed to have all the people that we have working for us on behalf of us, our tribal members, and their better quality of life. Well, thank you so much, Chairwoman, for your time. It has been a pleasure, as always, to sit and chat with you today. And I know that our audience has really enjoyed um, the stories that you shared with us as well. So, Mado, thank you so much. Mado, thank you, Megan. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. For more information about the Porch Band of Creek Indians, please visit our website, porchcreekindians.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, A Place Called Porch.